In our last episode, my dear listeners, I talked about the condition of mental health in academia and we briefly touched upon how we can combat the worsening situation in our nation. And also, like the old saying goes, grass is greener on the other side and we try to rush outside of a place thinking it might not be same outside. Same goes for academia. We rush abroad thinking problems shall be solved, that things might be different. But in general, this isn't the case. While researching the depression among graduates, not just in India, but also abroad, things are pretty much similar. Two-thirds of graduates all over the world suffer from some or the other form of mental health disorders. The belief that you need to suffer for the sake of staying in academia is a norm. And if you are not suffering from, let's say, imposter syndrome, then you are not doing academia properly. Keeping all this in mind, I set out to learn more about mental health from the academics themselves and stumbled along the webpage of Dragonfly Mental Health, whose goal, like in its name is to cultivate excellent mental health in academics worldwide. It's a volunteer-based group by the academics who know what went wrong during their studies for the academics who shall be stepping into academia really, really soon. They want to make academia a space where mental health is not stigmatized, not worn around like a badge to show that, you know, you're working hard and initiate it a place to be of high morale, of support, of innovation, and of research. I wanted to speak with a few people here and know, you know, how the culture outside of India stands for the time being. And I got extremely lucky, my dear listeners. The co-founder responded with a very, very humble message of chatting about this informally. And no matter whoever listens to this episode, be it one, be it a hundred, They wanted people to know that they are not alone fighting their battles. So after a few messages, we set up a meeting and had such an enlightening discussion. And now you all will get to listen to it. The guest speaker I have for you today is Dr. Ruth Steinberg, who is a recent graduate from John Hopkins University of Medicine and is also the co-founder and the executive director of Dragonfly Mental Health. So... Without any further ado, I present to you a very fruitful discussion about the stigmatized topic in academia. So as I mentioned before, today I have a very special guest and I such like it feels such an honor to like have such a person among us right now because soon we are going to be stepping into academia really really fast and um, it's a privilege to have Rue here and uh, she'll give an introduction about where she studied why she was brought into academia but before that I really really want to thank her for coming to the episode so thank you Rue thank you so much for coming here and uh, talking about this such a heated up you know misunderstood topic till the date in academia so yeah I will like in Indian culture, it's like we fold our hands and then we say thank you. <laughs> so thank you for coming here. Thank you. Um, and thank you for those kind words. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm Rue Steinberg. Um, I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, and I did my uh, undergraduate degree at Brooklyn College. Um, I From there, I went on to do my PhD at 
Johns Hopkins in cellular and molecular medicine. Um, and what brought me into academia, um, I've always loved the sciences. Truth be told, I never expected to become a scientist. <laughs> it wasn't, you know, a passion from, from a really young age. Um, I actually always really loved writing, um, which comes in handy when, you know, when you enter academia. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, when I started undergrad, I was actually pre-med um, and I have a lot of medical issues and medicine always interested me. So I was going the pre-med route um, and I, you know, for my CV needed research experience. And that was my introduction into research. So I, I looked for a PI, um, I took their class, I, you know, asked if I could join the lab and uh, she ended up taking, you know, the top five students in the class who conveniently, we all sat near each other. So we were good <laughs> friends. Um, and the experience was wonderful. It was, you know, my first time, um, you know, having some autonomy over a project like that. It was a, a bioinformatics based project. Um, and so it was all dry, um, dry lab science, yeah. <laughs> um, which was different from my PhD. Um, but I, I fell in love with the science behind medicine as opposed to med medicine itself. And so I decided to make that, that leap uh, into um, uh, a wet lab PhD, actually. Um, I wanted not only to you know, continue doing research, but I wanted to you know, round out my experience, you know, have a little dry lab, have a little wet lab, see what worked best. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the, the backstory of it. And it did work the best. You transformed into such an amazing person. So <laughs> it did. So yeah. Um, yeah. One of the questions that I wanted to ask you uh, is that uh, I've been, you know, as academics, you know, there's this Twitter trend that we follow, right? Every day there's a new tweet. And uh, this is a scary topic because, you know, whenever I used to open my Twitter, the moment I told the Twitter that, you know, I'm interested in academia and maybe I'll be pursuing academia further on. So for people like us who will be stepping into PhDs and grad schools really, really soon, uh, there's this thread of, you know, these toxic tweets. I'd like to call them because they're like, oh, hashtag, you know, PhD sucks or, you know, like this is the condition of PhD. So a few of my friends have already based on those tweets you know just they're like yeah we're gonna stay away from this this is like a really toxic culture environment so uh so yeah we talk about mental health in academia but it's also such a stigmatized topic right so why do you think that is i think um because of all of the things you mentioned of, you know, the toxic work culture, the lack of support that people feel. Mm -hmm. um, and the, you know, when people are having a really hard experience and vent out into the world, uh, you know, the bad and don't, you know, in a tweet, it's very hard to say both the bad and the good. Yeah. <laughs> um, then you see sort of a lopsided, um, you know, perspective. And I think, having all of that culture be the focus 
creates this culture of isolation where you feel like I'm going to be all alone in this really toxic environment, um, you know, and, and on top of that, mental health, you know, it's thought as, you know, if you have a mental health struggle, maybe you can't cut it, you know, maybe you don't deserve to be here. Um, that's what sometimes your inner voice can tell you. Yeah. And of course it's not true. Um, you know, mental health should never be a barrier to people's success. Um, and because of that voice in our head, that's, um, sort of bolstered by this toxic experience, um, we, I think we, It's okay. It's just an informal discussion. You don't have to. <laughs> I mean, okay, no, I just lost my train of thought. Now I'm okay. like, where is I going with this? <laughs> yeah, it is a toxic environment. I agree. I agree. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I think uh, one of the main, you know, the um, change that we can bring is like, you know, organizations like, you know, yours, which you'll talk about in a moment but uh, when you talk about you know culture of isolation what does that mean like uh... I think it means that you know a student or a faculty or staff or postdoc really anyone at any level of academia when when you feel isolated um, you feel like you can't talk to anyone about what's going on about how you feel about you know the things that are stressors, um, you know, the, the bad experiences you've had um, when you can't talk to people and you bottle it all up, um, it's incredibly difficult. Uh, yeah. It, you know, holding all that in takes its own amount of mental stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I think isolation is when when people feel like they're an island unto themselves um, and they're you know floating out in the ocean and no one else is experiencing what they're experiencing uh that they're the odd one out yeah this is what trauma makes you you know like like any disease like any mental health issue makes you feel like you know you are you know you are alone and like you know you you yourself have to handle everything so if i have depression I'll be like, yeah, because, you know, nobody else has depression. Everybody's life is amazing. So, yeah, you all can enjoy your life. Uh, so that's why, you know, people don't ask for help also because they just are like, yeah, just, you know, they just confine themselves into a room and just overthink to a point that they'll probably end up taking their lives. So it's a very... Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I think part of it is it hasn't been normalized to check in on your friends Hmm. and your peers, you know, the people in your life who um, are around you and you know, they're, they're going through X, Y, Z, ask them every once in a while, how are you doing? Let's meet up for a coffee, you know, catch up. I think those, you know, half an hour coffee dates with friends can make all the difference in someone feeling isolated versus someone feeling like they have a lifeline. Um, And so, you know, once it's 
more normalized to ask, um, I think that'll that'll be a huge step towards change. Yes. Especially in an environment where, you know, there is a lot of competition, right? So you yourself foster this mentality in students being a PI. Some people do that. In, even here, I'm talking about in India, it happens that they'll, they'll be like, yeah, so the people that you see around you, they are your, you know, competitors. So you are like, you know, in an environment where you have to compete. So this, you know, this fostering this particular mentality is just like, yeah, so basically they are my enemies, right? So if somebody's yeah. better than me, they are doing good. Why should I ask them that, you know, if they are fine or not? So, yeah, I think checking up on peers is very, very important. And I think it should be normalized really a lot because here it's not happening. Let me be honest, Drew. In India, it's not. <laughs> There's a lot of competition. Everybody is trying to go in for the best. There's this hustle culture environment. And nobody is yeah. trying to, uh, you know, sit back and you know relax for a particular moment take a breath and see if they are fine or not so yeah yeah it's it's like it's important whatever you just said um and um, yeah so um also you know since you described what pressure leads to you know a student or a grad student even pis in academia so what made you uh, you know as a grad student or as a college student, whatever, uh, you know, realize that, you know, this is the point. Yeah, it, mental health actually is important. It's not, you know, like a hashtag term. It is an important part of my yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, it started when I was really young. Um, my parents always fostered an environment where you can share your emotions, your thoughts and feel validated. Uh, I also didn't have uh, that academic pressure at home. My parents were just very happy if I did the best I could. Same with me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so when I got to college and I, I experienced this drastically different environment where, you know, you don't talk about how you feel you, you know, this is what's expected of you. You have to be a perfectionist. You have to get everything right. And if you're, you know, falling apart at the seams, buck up and, you know, continue onward. Uh, and it, it was a shock at first to see that. Um, and even, you know, moving forward, I was very fortunate to have really great mentors and PIs throughout my academic career. And I could, in comparison to my experience, I can see my peers' experiences were, you know, there were so many problems, so many different problems, variety of problems. Um, and, and I thankfully wasn't experiencing those, um, but I, I couldn't stand to see them, you know, go through what they were going through, um, you know, so that, those are the kinds of things that prompted me to to get into the mental health space and then at the same time i also went through um something really difficult in while i was in graduate school but not in academia um and was uh, diagnosed with ptsd afterwards um it was my first time you know going to therapy consistently going on medication um you know real firsthand experience in that space, space that I was already passionate about. Um, and 
it just solidified for me that, you know, this problem's not going to go away on its own. Yeah. And, you know, I have to do what I can to change it for the better. Yeah, that's actually true. So uh, do you think that, you know, you being in, like, like you said, you were diagnosed with a mental health condition, uh, that fostered this mentality that, you know, since I am in this condition at the moment and I am in grad school right now because there's a lot of pressure around me and everything. So uh, did that mentality lead you to the realization that, you know, like, yeah, I mean, if I am suffering, I think somebody else also might. And that's why I should do something about it, right? But a lot of people, they think that, you know, it's just because, you know, I have a mental health issue. So it's just my my issue. It's not anybody else. And I, I will, you know, take care of it in my confined space. So uh, do you have any message for, you know, such kind of people because you went through trauma yourself? So do you want to like share a little bit about it? for people who are actually going through this right now, PTSD specifically. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's really important to check in with yourself. Um, for me, a big part of how I realized that something was wrong um, was in changes in my behavior that I started to pick up on. Hmm. Um, you know, I was crying a lot and I was sleeping a lot and try, well, trying to sleep a lot, but not <laughs> actually getting good restful sleep. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that prompted me to go seek external help. But at the same time, I had friends around me who saw what was going on. Um, some of them spoke to me, you know, to, to support me. Um, some were just there, you know, they were there if I needed, you know, someone to lean on. They were there if they, I needed support in an experiment. Um, sometimes it's not only words that can help support you. And so I think for those students who are going through it right now, um, check in with yourself on you know, what, what can your support system help you with? I think many times the people around us just don't know how to help and they don't want to make it worse. Um, and so if you can identify some of those things um, and, and communicate that, you know, this would be really great if you could X, Y, Z, it would take a lot of pressure off of me, um, you know, that kind of thing that I think can be huge in, in recovery because it gives you breathing room mm. to work through whatever you're struggling with. I mean, every PTSD case is drastically different. Um, and, you know, I mean, I don't know two people who have <laughs> anywhere near the same experiences, <laughs> but um, we can all still be introspective and we can all still, you know, communicate yeah. to those who care about us. Um, and even if it's not in your immediate lab environment, it doesn't have to be someone in academia. It can be a therapist that you talk to. It could be a family member. 
It can be a friend from outside of academia. It can be anyone that you feel comfortable enough to be vulnerable and, you know, let them know what's going on. Again, even in that, you can share whatever level of detail you feel comfortable with. But I can pretty much guarantee that if you go to your friend and you say, I'm struggling and these are the ways that you can help me, they will want to help. Yeah, that, that is true. That is actually true. So uh, also, about all this we talked about, uh, so like what is Dragonfly? Because, you know, I didn't introduce the listeners so perfectly in the introduction itself. <laughs> so yeah, it, it'll be great if it came from you. So what is Dragonfly and what is your mission? And what is the story behind organization if you feel comfortable sharing it? Yeah, uh, Dragonfly Mental Health is a nonprofit organization. Um, and our mission is to cultivate excellent mental health in academics around the world. Um, and it was born out of, you know, academics meeting at a conference, like-minded, seeing the issues and deciding why not now, you know, why not us? And, you know, and it wasn't just the founders, you know, it was a lot of people who were like, I want to volunteer and I want to volunteer. And we have a, a really wonderful, robust volunteership of over 330 volunteers um, who are active in, in so many of the things that we do to create change and, you know, the ways we try and educate um, and so, you know, it's, the goal is to make academia a better place than it was when we experienced it. That's the short-term goal. The long-term goal is to put ourselves out of business and, you know, that universities and academia as a whole will be not only good, you know, like maintain someone's mental health and not be bad for their mental health, but, you know, foster good mental health, will be supportive of good mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the, the vision. Um, and we, we want to do everything we can to get there. Um, our volunteers, our academics themselves, creative, each one from a different background, from all over the world. Um, And that, you know, diversity of experience informs so many of the things we do as an organization. So much of our, you know, what what, um, mental health literacy talk or workshop would be most useful for us to develop next. Um, Many of our talks were, you know, came out of people asking, do you have a talk on this topic? Um, And then us turning to our volunteership and developing that talk. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we are not clinicians ourselves. Um, We do have some volunteers who are clinicians, (laughs) but as an organization, um, we are not clinicians. We we are not a replacement for um, medical care, um, but, We are, you know, the goal is to have academia not be the reason you seek medical care. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, 
so that's what we're here for um yeah yeah i mean such a like uh given your experience with academia and also struggling through a very like robust mental health situation like ptsd is not um you know something that you know we joke about because uh like i have gone through some of it and i understand how uh you know how it takes toll on somebody's health as well and you took all that during your graduate school so i'm going to salute you from here <laughs> <laughs> and yeah so do you have any uh, message for the future of academia and uh, the listeners right now who are listening to this because uh, uh, you know do I, i'll share a personal experience before this uh, in india there is this culture like i talked about the hustle environment uh there's also this culture of non stop doing things mm. so there is us like i personally relate because i was in school for 12 13 14 years then i went to college then for 5 years stretched out and then i i have to go for a grad school or probably a job first whatever it is but there is no break and if i take a break it's so stigmatized here it, they won't let me do it i can tell you that and the toll it takes on somebody's mental health when somebody has been working for the past let's say 20 25 years just studying not even getting somewhere with that just studying it's a lot to take right so um keeping that in mind do you have any you know message for the future of academia that's going to come and you know yeah. listeners itself yeah yeah i would say i mean firstly you are not alone um you know we we are listening to all of the um things that perpetuate a culture that make it that way that you can't take a break um and you know trying to use that to inform our decisions on how we can best help academics um and also i think it's important to realize um a few things one no you know mental health problem is too small i yep. think a lot of people um and academics as a group um you know grad students are 6 to 8 times more likely to have anxiety and depression than the general population um so we're already an at risk group and i think a lot of us tend to minimize our own struggles and say you know i'm struggling but it it can't be actual anxiety that i need medication for um you know i'm you know struggling to get out of bed and do all the things i have to do but i'm not depressed um i think that's you know the um the way we talk to ourselves um that convinces us that everybody else is doing everything perfectly and we have to get to that level um but also that if you need help to get to that level be that you know going to a therapist or going on medication or any any of those things then that you are less worthy um of getting to that level and that is just categorically untrue um there are you know when i say you are not alone it's you know take ptsd for example um we give 
themed dragonfly cafes, which is uh, a Zoom room that's open to academics to come for a facilitated conversation. And we have themed topics. And I gave one of these um, last year on PTSD. And, you know, I think it was something like 30 people showed up. Wow. A lot of people, uh, you know, and I never expected that many people. I, you know, you think, oh, it's niche, you know, <laughs> but so many people are, you know, going through things that are detrimental to their mental health. And that doesn't say anything bad about you. Um, you know, I think also people, they tend, well, academics tend to um, associate their, you know, how well their science is going or how well they're doing in academia with their self-worth, Yeah, you know? And I think that's, you know, a, a mindset that we have to uncouple those two from each other um, and show people that, you know, your, you know, your success is not that simple to think of it as like, oh, one experiment failed, I'm a failure. You know, when, when I started grad school, the first thing they told us is that um, 90% of your experiments will fail. Yeah. <laughs> you have to get really comfortable with failure to be a grad student. And that's true. And if you, you know, start to think of those experiments as, you know, a commentary on your value, of course, you're going to struggle. I mean, that's a barrage of negative self-talk. And I think we all do this to, to ourselves. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, us doing that is, is perpetuated by the culture around us. Mm-hmm. It's what, we, you know, well, everybody's, you know, also doing this and, you know, everybody goes through hardships and everybody's struggling, but that's part of grad school. You have to struggle to succeed. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, it doesn't take hard work to get there, but don't handicap yourself uh, before you even start on the journey, you know, um, prepare yourself, um, know yourself really well, whether or not you can, you know, go through 90% of experiments fail. And if you can't, what do you need to be able to? Because it's not a comment on you. It's, you know, do you have support systems in place? And so, yeah, I would just say, you know, each each one of you, um, and as you mentioned, India um, has its own, subculture of of this hustle culture and you can't take a break yeah um but you know even in the midst of that schedule in self-care schedule Mm. in time for yourself I think what often often happens is we you know we don't put it in the schedule and then when we take time to relax we feel guilty about it like oh I should be doing work yeah. <laughs> if you specifically say this time to this time on Sunday is my time to watch a movie with my family. 
you mm-hmm. know, then, then there's no guilt. You set aside time to do all of the other things that you need to do. And this is your self-care time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I can't imagine what that is like to go through that hustle for that long. I took, you know, a year between undergrad and grad school. Um, I was continuing my research uh, at my undergrad institution, but it wasn't, you know, that hustle, 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 partly because I had really wonderful mentors, but also because um, the people around me valued um, you know, giving time and space for students to self-regulate, you know, to, to decide what works for them, um, and, and let them proceed (laughs) in that style. And so I can imagine it's incredibly difficult, um, but try and check in with yourself see where you need support that you don't currently have it, schedule self-care, and hopefully we'll change the world so that by the time you get to academia, none of this will be a problem. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a great, um, like, you know, one-liner to end on. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, again, thank you so much, Ru, for coming, for speaking about your struggles. I know some of the parts might be uncomfortable for you, but you still did it. (laughs) Yeah, that was great. Really great talking to you. And again, again, in Indian culture, we just fold our hands and we say thank you. So thank you again for coming here and talking about your struggles, telling us that we are not alone. And I hope after listening to this, people actually you know take active uh, (laughs) self-care and also uh, I'll tell my listeners to join your organization if they can because uh, yeah representation matters so (laughs) yeah exactly representation um, you know we want to hear your voices and you within our organization you can have an actual impact on what we do, what we put out into the world. I mean, we have one of our working groups within our volunteership, um, you know, is they created the foundation of our comprehensive program. You know, the volunteers in there brainstormed and, you know, sort of created a think tank and put out surveys and asked as many academics as possible and built it into, you know, a program that can, address all of those individual needs. Um, But we need active participation from from those different diverse groups. We wanna hear, you know, what are the things that you need more of? Um, And yeah, we love volunteers coming, so join us. (laughs) I mean, I already am a volunteer, but I'll tell my friends and I'll tell my peers also, I can tell my father to join in. So yeah, that'll be great. Thank you so much, Ru, again, for coming, for speaking. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Such a- thank you for having yeah. me. It was really a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Unless we talk, we won't know it exists. A big, big, big thank you to Ru for being so generously gracing us with her presence 
and her kind words i hope my dear listeners listening to this people will feel less alone and they'll have a sense of belongingness for you my dear listeners my work is to bridge the gap of communication to make you know that you are not fighting your battles alone so you can always reach out to dragonfly for any sort of consultation free of cost they also have many volunteer opportunities for those who might be interested in making academia a safe space for all after all like i always say you are not alone in this Thank you for making the podcast a success. Thank you for believing in me and making me the voice which needs to be heard. And as always, if you like this episode, please make sure to share this episode with your friends and follow the podcast on whatever platform you're listening it on. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing right now, I just hope tomorrow brings a better day for you and I'll see you in the next episode. Till then, stay warm, stay safe and remember You're not alone in this.